1: I'm
3: all right, Tom. How are you? Hey, lucky day, Mr. Sumner. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's <laughs> a <good> question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor, comedian, Jonah Pody and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry. What's his name? Oh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program.
2: Good morning, Tom. How you doing?
3: Hey, at least I got the Tom part right.
0: Stay tuned, because it's on now. The Tom Sumner Program.
1: Hi, this is Gretchen Whitmer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program.
0: Now, when a virus comes along that's spreading like a plague, and POTUS and his lackeys have been nothing if not vague, well then you've got to trust the CDC and listen well, unless you want to bid off free society. contagious awful virus And if we don't act quick and social distance It will mire us In a stretch of quarantine That lasts until July A superb and transmittable, Contagious awful virus and if you got a better cough in your arm, and if you got a better. <coughs> now, back in 1918, influenza had its run. But half the docs were busy overseas with World War One. Today, we have mass media and scientists to say if you don't want this virus, well, then stay six feet away. It's super damn important that we practice isolation because we're asymptomatic while it's an incubation. will overwhelm our hospitals if there's not mitigation. It's super damn important that we practice isolation. If we don't do it, then we're all gonna die. If we don't do it, then we're all gonna die. So I hope at last you'll take this lesson here to heart. Because it's already scary and we're only at the start. If you get bored, just think of the immunocompromised who can't go much of anywhere unless it's sterilised. Oh, Superman! transmittable contagious awful virus if we don't act quick and social distance it will mire us in a stretch of quarantine the last to July. A super bad transmittable super bad transmittable contagious
4: And welcome back, everybody. This is the Tom Sumner Program. My guest this hour is a dual-trained neurosurgeon at Northwestern Medicine with extensive experience in endovascular and cerebrovascular surgery. He uh, is uh, joining me today to talk a little bit about um, the... uh, neurological impacts of COVID-19. His name is Dr. Babek jerome and he welcomes me, or um, he joins me, rather, by phone. Uh, Dr. Uh, jerome welcome to the show.
5: Good morning. It's a pleasure to be here with you and your listeners.
4: Um, doctor, I, I was reading uh, some somewhere, maybe in the notes uh, for this uh, conversation, that Neurological symptoms occur in up to forty-five percent of people diagnosed with COVID nineteen. Um, how do we how do we know that?
5: So some of that is really observational data.
4: That's a little bit of a tease of uh, the interview that's coming up in just a uh, few minutes. I was actually scheduled to talk with uh, award winning. Uh, doctor and author dr. Shivendo uh, or Shivendu Sen um, and uh, that interview didn't come through however I have uh, we were going to talk about why his his book uh, why Buddha never had Alzheimer's I was really looking forward to that um, but uh, apparently something got uh, something got cross scheduled or something but I did an interview earlier this morning about. Um, Covid nineteen and the uh, impact of um, Covid nineteen on strokes. Anyway, uh, we'll get to that in just a few minutes, and uh, we're we're going to turn to the Bickersons for now. Ladies and gentlemen, Philip Rapp's creation, the (laughs) Bickersons.
3: After seven years of cycloid insomnia, or Slugger's disease, John Bickerson had finally consented to allow Dr. Hershey to relieve his condition. In room 113 at the General Hospital, Mrs. Bickerson watches anxiously as a surgical nurse ministers to poor John, who is suffering an attack the night before the operation. Listen.
6: Oh, it's like being married to a steam shovel nurse. Cough's normal. Enjoy yourself, dear. Dr. Hershey's waiting for you in the corridor, Mrs. Beckerson. Oh, hello, doctor.
3: Is he resting? I gave him a sedative. That'll quiet him down.
6: Well, he isn't very quiet.
3: Oh, well, actually, I could have done the operation in my office. It's so trivial. I won't be in surgery over 15 minutes, and there's absolutely no danger whatsoever.
6: Will it hurt him?
3: Not the slightest. All we do is take a stitch in his palate and shorten his uvula.
6: I hate to bring this up now, Dr. Hershey, but how much will it cost? The fee will
3: be $50 with the anesthetic.
6: How much is it without the anesthetic? <laughs>
3: oh, I would say about $40.
6: Would there be any discomfort if he didn't have an anesthetic?
3: Not for me, there wouldn't. I wouldn't advise the operation without it.
6: And you're sure he'll be cured when you're through? Oh, practically
3: certain. Well, it's almost midnight now. I'll do his case first thing about seven. He just needs a good night's rest. Well, I'll just stay a little longer. Good night. Call the floor nurse if you need anything.
6: Oh, I will. I hope that pill's quieted him down. I'm sure that isn't doing him any good. John! John, wake up!
4: What, what's the matter, Blanche? Uh, what's the matter, huh? I put the cat out, I locked the windows, I left a note for the milkman, and I I hung up... John,
6: uh, we're in the hospital.
4: What for? Is somebody sick?
6: No, you're going to have an operation. Dr. Hershey's going to shorten your uvula in the morning. Well, then, what did you wake me
4: up now for? Well,
6: you were snoring, and I was afraid you'd wear it off before he got a chance to operate. You've been snoring steadily for three hours. Don't you suppose I want to sleep, too?
4: You're not sleeping here, are you?
6: Yes, I am. It costs another $5 to put another cart in the room. I... And I intend to use it.
4: I can't get one night's sleep. Where's my Not even in the down. hospital.
6: I don't understand why you have to have an operation to cure your snoring.
4: I didn't want it. You've been working on me for seven years to do this.
6: I'm beginning to think it was a waste of money. I could have used that $40. I'm still walking around in a short dress.
4: What are you going on about? Tomorrow I'll be walking around with a short uvula. Don't
6: be so crabby. I'm
4: not crabby. I'm just sleepy. Why don't you stop fiddling with that mirror and put out the lights?
6: I have to get undressed, don't I?
4: Well, take your dress off. Why are you plucking your eyebrows at this time of night? I'm
6: not plucking my eyebrows. I'm taking off my false eyelashes.
4: False eyelashes? I didn't even know you had bald eyelids.
6: (laughs) My eyelids are not bald. It's just that my lashes are short, and they don't bring out my eyes. Lots of women use false eyelashes.
4: Well, throw them away. You don't need anything to bring out your eyes. Really? Really. I'm satisfied with the way they bulge now.
6: What kind of a remark is
4: that? Oh, hurry up, Blanche. I'm groggy. Blanche, what on earth are you taking out of your hair?
6: It's a rat. A what? A roll of false hair. I have to wear it for the new hairstyles. My own hair is too thin with a pompadour. Oh, darn it, I can't get out of this dress.
4: Blanche? What are those things? (laughs) Don't be
6: silly. Haven't you ever seen shoulder pads before?
4: Oh, I've never heard of such a thing. Your eyelashes are on the dresser, your hair is in the drawer, and your shoulders are on the chairs.
6: What about it?
4: That's you all over, Blanche. (laughs) No one can think of more ways to spend money. Are you ready for bed now?
6: Yes, dear, I'm ready for bed. Shall I crank yours up a little?
4: No, put out the lights.
6: Oh, I wanted to glance at the paper first. You go ahead and go to sleep.
4: I can't sleep with the lights on. I left my sleep shade at home.
6: Well, I won't be a minute.
4: No one would believe this. In six hours, they're going to carve me to pieces. I'm supposed to rest, and here I'm... Shh!
6: I can't concentrate with you mumbling. (laughs) There's certainly a lot of activity in Washington. What's all this tax reduction talk? Talk? Listen to what's...
4: Blanche, I read the paper, every word of it. Read it to yourself.
6: Don't be so disagreeable. Dr. Hershey told me to keep you occupied so you wouldn't think about the operation.
4: All I'm thinking about is sleep.
6: Oh, that's a good boy. You mustn't get nervous. No. I see the stock market is going up. That's fine. We have some stock, haven't we? Didn't you get some stock last year?
4: Ten shares. Kentucky Salt the Preferred stock
6: brother got you in on the ground floor, didn't he? Where is that now?
4: In the ground.
6: I can't even find it listed on the stock page.
4: Look in the help wanted, Colin.
6: Are you getting relaxed, dear?
4: No. Now I'm starting to get nervous.
6: I'm worried about you, John. If anything happened to you on the operating table, it would all be my fault. So, you know what I think?
4: We'll, uh, sneak out, huh?
6: No. I think you should make out a will.
4: Make out a will? I thought you were worried about me.
6: Well, you don't want to leave me at the mercies of all those grasping relatives of yours, do you? The minute you drop dead, they Don't all...
4: talk like that. Can't you say pass on or something like that?
6: Well, you always say drop dead. That's
4: only when I'm talking to your brother. You could be a little more delicate when you're discussing wills. Why? Because you make it sound like I'm going to go any minute.
6: Well, they don't give you two weeks' notice, you know. Every man should make out a will.
4: Okay, I'll make it out tomorrow.
6: You say it, but you won't do it. Get up now. Do it now. What? Go on, get up, and make out a will.
4: Well, you're out of your mind. In the first place, a will isn't legal unless you have two witnesses. And in second place, I haven't got anything to leave in the first place. Nobody is going to take anything, and I don't need a will. You are the most
6: stubborn man that ever
4: lived, John. Why? Why am I stubborn? It's the
6: hardest thing in the world to make you admit I'm right when you know I'm wrong.
4: There's a woman's logic for you. Suppose I do make out a will, and nobody can touch anything besides you. Okay, so now... You've got it all, my worldly goods. First thing you know, you'll get over your grief, marry a guy without a dollar to his name like that broken-down snore specialist, Dr. Hershey.
6: Oh, I'm not going to marry anybody.
4: He'll give up his practice, take you for every penny, my hard-earned money. He'll drive around my brand-new car, drink my bourbon, <laughs> loaf around like the French, never do a day's work. Why don't you make the bum get a job, Blanche?
6: And then screaming like that? Push up and go to sleep
4: go to sleep, she tells me. I'm a nervous wreck. She practically walks me into a funeral. Mary's a doctor behind my back. Now she tells me to go to sleep. I'll never sleep. Another wink as long as I. John, the
6: telephone, the telephone, answer no.
4: it. Who, who the Dickens is calling? Who moved the phone, Blanche? What'd you get
6: up for? It's right on the night table beside your bed.
4: I thought I was, uh, hello? Mrs. Rinesas, this is your maternity nurse.
6: You can get ready now. I'm bringing your baby
7: in.
4: What? Blanche, how long have I been here?
7: Isn't he 413?
4: I don't know what this is, but I'm not feeding any babies. A way to run a hospital.
6: It's just a mistake, John.
4: No, I shouldn't have fallen for this operation deal. I could be so comfortable at home in my own bed. One of us should have stayed there. What for? How do you know a prowler won't break in? I left a whole bottle of bourbon on the dresser.
6: Nobody will break in. The turkey would gobble and scare him away.
4: The turkey would gobble? I can just see. Turkey? What turkey?
6: Well, I was going to surprise you. I won a turkey in a raffle, John.
4: You've got a live turkey running around the house? He
6: isn't running around. I've got him tied to your bed.
4: On my bed? What'd you do that for? I'll have the whole thing full of feathers. What'll we do with a live turkey?
6: Well, it's Thanksgiving tomorrow, John, and I thought you'd murder him for dinner.
4: I'm not going to murder any turkeys. But if he lays a beak on my bourbon, I'll chop his head off. (laughs) Blanche, you're the most impossible woman that ever lived.
6: Oh, I'm sorry, John. I guess everything I do is wrong. I'll go home and put the turkey out.
4: Now, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Never mind. I didn't mean to holler. Let's go to sleep so I can feel good for the operation.
6: I don't think I want you to have it.
4: What's the least I can do for you? Kept you awake all these years with my snoring, and when Dr. Hershey gets through with me, I'll be as quiet as a mouse.
6: But if you stop snoring, I'll never wake you up, will I? No. And if I don't wake you up, we won't fight, will we?
4: That's right.
6: Well, that settles it. I'm not going to let him operate, John.
4: Why not?
6: It's the only chance I get to talk to you. Come on, we're going home.
4: I give up.
1: Everybody's doing a brand
2: new dance now. Hi, this is Mark Farner, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program.
7: I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do you can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous tip tab, where you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters.
4: Hi, I'm Dr. Jonay Caldoun.
7: We know that COVID-19 is spreading rapidly across Michigan right now. The most important thing people can do to protect themselves is social distancing. That means unless you are a critical infrastructure worker or going out to get food or medicine for your home, you should be staying at home. Stay home, stay safe, save lives.
2: Most of the music you hear on the Tom Sumner program is provided by local artists. Tom Sumner program, celebrating the rich talent pool from Flint, Genesee County, and throughout Michigan. In just a little while, you folks are going to have the pleasure not only hearing the songs of the star of the program and all, but you're also going to have the pleasure of hearing and watching and seeing in person the gentlemen and ladies who have been supplying the fine music behind the curtain this evening. It's a wonderful orchestra. I love to hear them play. And while you would possibly never even consider counting how many pieces there are in the band, it so happens there are about, I think, 26, 27 members of the orchestra, the stage orchestra here. The only thing is they used to play in Hollywood. And when they were there in Hollywood, California, there were a 65-piece orchestra. And when they were hired by the International Hotel to come here and play, they all got on on the bus, all 65 of them with their instruments and everything, and headed out toward Las Vegas. The only thing was, when they crossed the Nevada state line, they had fruit inspection, and this is all slack. Here are some most happy fellas, the four lads, for Ford. Standing on the corner, watching all the Fords go by. Giss and cousin, get in a fort, give fort a try. So don't be standing on the corner, watching all the forts, watching all the forts, be the guy who's going
7: by. This is Jill Stein, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program.
4: And welcome back, everybody. This is the Tom Sumner Program. My guest this hour is a dual-trained neurosurgeon at Northwestern Medicine with extensive experience in endovascular and cerebrovascular surgery. He uh, is uh, joining me today to talk a little bit about um, the... uh, neurological impacts of COVID-19. His name is Dr. Babak jerome and he welcomes me, or um, he joins me, rather, by phone. Uh, Dr. Uh, jerome welcome to the show.
5: Good morning. It's a pleasure to be here with you and your listeners.
4: Um, doctor, I, I was reading uh, some somewhere, maybe in the notes uh, for this uh, conversation, that Neurological symptoms occur in up to 45 percent of people diagnosed with COVID 19. Um, how do we How do we know that?
5: So, some of that is really observational data. As our experience across the United States and internationally has grown, we've realized that. COVID is not merely a disease of the lungs, and it really affects the entire body. Uh, some of that maybe because COVID induces uh, what we call a hypercoagulable state. So it basically makes the blood thicker. It wants to clot more often. And that means it will affect the entire circulatory system. As a result, it can affect almost any end organ. So the blood vessels are the body's plumbing. They've got to provide circulation to the entire body, providing oxygen and nutrition. And one of the side effects of COVID is it forms teeny little cloths that plug up these small vessels. So as a result, you can get injury, not only to the lungs, but injury to the heart, Injury to the kidneys, injury to the brain, and so on. So it's not surprising, and in fact, uh, one can certainly expect uh, more effects on that the neurological system than has been recognized.
4: You know, coronaviruses, uh, like the common cold and, and others, uh, tend to attack a particular thing. We think of ourselves as having a head cold or a chest cold or something like that. Is it unusual for a coronavirus uh, like COVID-19 is turning out to be um, to to threaten more than one area?
5: Well, certainly the magnitude of the effect of the coronavirus on the rest of the system uh, is uh, more than other viruses we've seen. Now, we've seen coronaviruses such as the SARS epidemic also have significant effects. What uh, certainly compounds this one is the ease of transmission and the worldwide dissemination of it. So, if we look at worldwide numbers, it dwarfs any form of uh, a coronavirus infection we've seen. Uh, again, as your listeners are now aware, it's a point at which it has shut down effectively the worldwide economy and our lives. Uh, the common cold can make us feel very ill, but rarely does it have the additional effects on the rest of the body uh, where it causes a significant stress response and it adds this excessive clotting to the blood which then just spirals injury to all the other organs so having Heart attacks, having strokes, uh, having clotting in the veins in the arms and lungs, has now become a well recognized side effect of this virus.
4: And and the virus, of course, is being called a pandemic because of the outbreaks in in countries all over the world. Um, but I've seen people argue that um, that that by the numbers it it isn't really attacking more people than say a serious flu outbreak um what kind of what kind of numbers would we be looking at if we weren't practicing masking and social distancing and and other precautions like you mentioned a moment ago uh shutting down businesses and schools and other public gathering places
5: I think that's an excellent question, and it's it's really in two parts. One is, uh, do other infections dwarf coronavirus by the numbers, such as the flu epidemic, uh, or just, I should say, the common flu? And uh, how much worse off would we be if we didn't do these precautions? Um, so if we look at just the common flu. It can certainly affect tens of thousands of Americans a year. The big difference is that the mortality rate uh, of flu is vastly lower than COVID-19. And the seriousness of the illness that COVID uh, induces is much worse. So we've never seen Our hospitals and our intensive care units brought to their knees with the common flu. Most of us just recover fine, we're miserable at home, and we eventually get on. The other interesting thing appears to be that there are long-lasting effects of COVID. So there are many reports of patients, increasingly younger ones, unfortunately, that after they've on through the active infection, they still have this ongoing fatigue, shortness of breath, cloudiness of thinking, because even if you're not actively infected, that residual injury to the lungs or other systems doesn't dissipate that quickly. So uh, the effect on the healthcare system and our patients is much worse. And by the numbers, this is more infectious than the regular flu. Um, and so I unfortunately don't think we can in any way brush this off. Uh, we just have to look at the news and our surroundings. And that leads to a second question, how much worse off could we be? Um, to some extent, that experiment's been done worldwide. We've seen countries that have not jumped on this early enough, uh, such as uh, Brazil, uh, Italy, uh, or even within the United States. We've seen what happened in New York State, and now in some of our more rural states where the numbers and everyone, and particularly the young now, are skyrocketing. Um, Unfortunately, this virus will do what it wants to do, which is to be very good at propagating and infecting the population. And unless at some point our scientists and uh, our medical team is able to provide a effective vaccine, the best tools we have are just garden variety public health tools that are recommended by all of the local state and national public health officials, which is effective masking social distancing, and all of the precautions I know your listeners are well aware of
4: um, you mentioned a moment ago that increasingly young younger people are are being affected um, and when the the virus first um, became known to you know widespread um, numbers of people when when uh, uh, the news started reporting how how big this was uh, becoming it was believed that young people couldn't catch it or were at least immune from the negative effects of it and yet now we're seeing more and more as you mentioned Cases of younger people contracting the disease and and being affected by it, um, I, are are the scientists that are that are researching this that you referred to able to begin to predict how how this uh, uh, disease will act, or are we really stuck with with just uh, collecting data as people become infected?
5: Um. I think the answer is in between those two ends. Obviously, this is a new virus that we have never encountered before. And so we are learning and adapting to it on the fly. Uh, But increasingly, we have a wealth of information, both nationally across the United States and internationally. So uh, there is now a, a reasonably solid understanding of its transmission and its effects. We still have a long way to go. As you mentioned initially, the more susceptible patients would be our elderly, uh, our uh, uh, patients who have more comorbidities such as high blood pressure, diabetes, and as a consequence often disenfranchised and minority patients who had poor access to health care and have more comorbidities. Um, The worst examples would have been uh, our elderly loved ones in nursing homes where this epidemic has wiped out a significant population. But it it doesn't just attack old people as we've now seen. And if we look at, uh, as a cliche, the young party-goers in, uh, you know, sunshine states, uh, you know, Young folks often think that they are invincible and are less uh, likely to follow instructions. Uh, And we're now seeing a price being paid by uh, our young population not adhering to social distancing guidelines. So I think that also leads to the spread in younger patients where this initial misperception of invincibility has led to uh, a feeling that you know this can affect me or uh, it just hurts old people and uh, that's not true we have seen deaths in young patients uh, even in teenagers and in school age uh, uh, we can see uh, the virus spread perhaps not as symptomatic but then uh, patients who are at a younger age can act as asymptomatic carriers and then that propagates it across society so age is not a barrier to the virus infecting our patients and it is very important that everyone out there know that and continue adhering to guidelines. Uh, In a sense um, we're in this all together and it's only a collective team effort that's uh, gonna get us out of this mess.
4: I think it's worthy of um, dwelling on that a little bit as uh uh, communities around the country are wrestling with whether or not to open public schools. Um, is, is it wise to open public schools until we have a vaccine or a, at least uh, some more reliable treatment options? Uh,
5: that's a very loaded question. And I wish we had a perfect answer what we do know is that children are not immune to this virus either catching it and or spreading it the public health officials and our politicians at the highest levels are grappling with the same issue what is the balance between uh, our children's need for education uh <clears throat> and what are all the dangers of being isolated versus the societal dangers of uh, increasing the whole population, increasing the transmission? I don't think anybody knows the right balance, and we're trying to adapt as we can um, does make sense that if there is a higher rate of infection and a higher spread of disease in communities, that we look very carefully at whether the risks of uh, in-person schooling are justified, whereas in circumstances where the infection rate has been halted and the curve, you know, not just slowed, but flattened, can we afford with appropriate precautions, and social distancing to provide in-person education. Um, the best answer from that will come in the end, I believe, from our public health officials. They have trained for decades. This should be their show, and we should adhere to their recommendations.
4: Um, Dr. Jerome, you talked about uh, all of the people that are working on uh, doing the research and the testing and the work on finding uh, a uh, vaccination, um, but there was at one time a lot of talk about treatment. What do what does treatment look like um, until we find vaccines for people who contract uh, COVID nineteen?
5: Very good question. And at this point, treatment is really the mainstay since we don't have a vaccine. We have learned a tremendous amount on the fly uh, faster than any disease process I can think of in recent history, simply because of the sheer numbers and the international scope. Overall, treatment is supportive. That means that we have to help the body fight the virus since at this point we don't have a surefire drug that just attacks the virus itself Um, and during that process we've learned how to optimize that support uh, trying to avoid going on ventilators early on uh, putting patients Prone, that means lying on their stomach as opposed to on their back, avoiding hospitalization where necessary, monitoring oxygen levels, and these all apply to mild to moderate disease states. In severe disease states, one of the ironies is that as the body gears up its attack mechanism to fight the virus, there is a spillover of collateral damage to the body's organs. Imagine that uh, you're going to war, but the explosives you're firing at the enemy can also cause friendly fire. And so we've also learned how to detect that and how to use medications to smoothen out a little bit the body's hyperreactive immune response. And so while much attention has been focused on uh, Newest drugs such as remdesivir, we've found that one of the cheapest, oldest drugs, a basic steroid called Decadron, is also very helpful in reducing this excessive reaction of the body to the virus and trying to moderate it so that the collateral damage is less, but the virus fighting ability of the body continues. And so, I think our ability to reduce mortality and get patients to the point where they are safe to finally leave the hospital is there. Um, the other thing that we have found is, as I you mentioned, this virus does affect uh, the young. We've had patients who have recovered from the actual infection, but as a result had such catastrophic residual lung injury that they just couldn't come off the ventilators or get out of the hospital and uh, Northwestern Medicine has led in actually upping the ante and when these patients are over their virus we've actually done uh, two patients historically have had double lung transplants to be able to recover and then get on with their life after the actual virus attack has resolved so we are certainly learning the basics, but also pushing the limits in what we can offer these patients.
4: Is treating the um, the symptoms uh, either pre-existing uh, conditions that are worsened by the COVID-19 uh, virus or uh, things like uh, the impact of COVID-19 on thickening the blood, for example, Do, does, does uh, using blood thinners and and other treatments of these symptoms help in in uh, the survival rate and in treating the disease until there are vaccines?
5: We certainly think so and while there hasn't been a randomized trial of blood thinners It's increasingly common practice in very sick patients who show signs of excessive blood clotting to put these patients on intermediate doses of blood thinners. And you will see that in many hospitals and intensive care units. It also stands to reason that reducing comorbidities, in other words, those uh, pre-existing conditions Effect of covid
4: there 's been a lot of talk about the use of uh, uh, antibodies from people who have uh, successfully uh, recovered from covid nineteen and and some of the different uh, conversations and observations about covid nineteen are that it would um, that it 's possible to get the disease again unlike some others where the body builds up its own immunity um and and one other aspect of this i wanted to to mention is this notion we hear about with regard to um herd immunity um is covid-19 something that can reoccur and what does that do to the possibility of of eventually developing a herd immunity
5: that's uh terrific question and one which everyone is to some extent grappling with. The data is somewhat mixed on this. Uh, we have seen reports where an initial immune response is strong, but after a number of months, the antibodies that the body generated have dropped in levels and there has even been reports of uh, patients being infected twice. Um, I take comfort in that the number of reinfections reported has been exceedingly small, and we are a bit early in the course of this disease to know whether that will be an issue or not. Um, But looking in the same type of viruses, certainly the flu virus, tends to change on a year-to-year basis, and the vaccines that are generated try to predict which strain will be the most uh, prominent and target that. Uh, It well may be that the vaccination strategy has to adopt something like that, and or we may be able to develop vaccines that target a fixed epitope on this virus or generate such a strong immune response that it lasts for a long time. We may even need immune boosters for it. So uh, I think all of us in the scientific community still have great hope that with so much attention both along the commercial companies and in the scientific community to generate a vaccination with a strong immune response, we will get there. Once we have that, it will be important for everyone to pitch in so that we can develop herd immunity Um That's another key aspect you touched on. And so, in a sense, if we think of the rare uh, protests against vaccination, well, now we can see how the world would be when we lack one single vaccine. So I think now everyone would be much more willing to pitch into what should be a team effort once that vaccine is developed and get us the herd immunity. Uh, Everything we do protect ourselves at each other from masks to social distancing to eventually uh, participating in a national vaccination strategy not only helps us keep ourselves and our family safe, but it's also keeping our fellow countrymen and women in the country safe. Uh, So I keep coming back to the idea that this is a team national effort that all of us should be part of.
4: More with the Favik Jerome from every time Medicine, I'm in
5: Flint, fighting crime, I always stop by the Tom Sumner program. Don't forget, stay dangerous. Darkwing Duck out.
7: alcohol may cause pregnancy, and it also may be a major factor in getting your ass kicked. So what are you waiting for? Stop hiding and start living with tequila. Tequila!
2: Those hands, no matter whose they are, can spread the germs of many common diseases. That's why I want you to realize how important it is to keep hands clean, to wash them regularly, and always before meals with Lifebuoy which not only removes dirt, but helps to remove germs. Teach the children this habit. Form it yourself.
3: A message from the CDC and the Ad Council.
5: In the interest of goodwill, the Hoffman Beverage Company feels compelled to make this announcement. It's simply this. All Hoffman flavors have that happy taste, except sarsaparilla. We might as well come right out with it. We haven't quite hit that happy, carefree note in sarsaparilla.
4: Now, please don't misunderstand us. Our Hoffman sarsaparilla is absolutely dependable. It's trustworthy. It's loyal. And many fine, upstanding citizens love it.
5: But it just isn't what we call happy. You take our Hoffman orange, it's absolutely rollicking. Our lemon is almost giggly. Our black cherry and black raspberry are so bubbling with happiness, they dance in the glass. They all have natural flavor and famous Hoffman steady sparkle. We're sorry about Hoffman sarsaparilla. Why isn't it happy? Well, let me ask you could you be happy
4: if your not This was is U.S. Senator
5: Gary Peters, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner program.
4: More with doctor Babak Jeromey from Northwestern Medicine straight ahead. Back in, in February and March when we were just just becoming really fully aware that this was a pandemic, um, there was a sense that if we if we hunkered down, if we socially distanced, if we wore masks that this would only be for a few weeks and a lot of people as as you pointed out when you talked about young people crowding on beaches and so on um, became somewhat impatient. Are we looking at a much longer event than we want to admit something like the Spanish flu a hundred years ago that dragged out for two or three years?
5: Uh, increasingly um, that sounds potentially likely and from a logical perspective why wouldn't that be the case the virus isn't going to do what we want it to do right uh, a virus is evolutionally programmed to adapt and propagate as far and wide as it can so will there be long-lasting changes in society as we adapt to a pandemic but still find ways of carrying on yes will this go on forever no uh will we find eventually effective combinations of treatments and vaccinations for it absolutely will it come on a timeline that we want uh, <laughs> certainly not <laughs> and i think your message to your listeners is very correct uh, we've got to hunker down for the long term but we, we've been through much worse in society. Uh, Humanity has survived famine, uh, world wars. Uh, We are not asking you and me and our generation to sacrifice a lot for the common good. Uh, And this is not without hope. We look at some countries or some states that have strictly adhered to the simplest of social guidelines and mask wearing and It's incredibly effective. So I think it's it's important that we get to a point where we don't have mixed messages from multiple authorities and once we have a collective willpower there is nothing America can't do and there's no way this disease disease will defeat us. It simply requires uh, a mindset that this is something long-term, that we're in the same boat, and that we're going to work and protect each other as brothers and sisters, and we will come through this. We can still do many of the things with simple social guidelines, and so I would tell our listeners that really the glass is not half empty, it's half full. With appropriate guidelines, we have been able to still continue reasonably productive lives with restrictions that we are adapting to. And in the meantime, that gives our hospitals a chance to catch up and our scientists the time they need to test, develop, and eventually mass produce the vaccines required to get us back to where we were a number of months or maybe down the road a number of years ago.
4: Um just a, a couple more things as as we're getting close to the end of our time doctor. Um one is I I I wonder if you could um help us identify when uh people should try to get tested if there are symptoms that people should be watching for. We you know, we hear about the the various uh uh, warning signs of stroke and heart attack and so on. But are, are there identifiers that that if someone falls ill that that it might be COVID nineteen and um, and then and then finally are there some resources that people can look up things that have been published um, uh, perhaps online that that people can. Uh, Dig down a little bit more on what we've been talking about, without the uh, the political filters of the uh, evening news.
5: Uh, excellent question. Um, the basics are a simple symptom check every one of us can do, and. These are actually the questions I am asked every morning when I come to work at Northwestern Hospital. Uh, The three key things to remember is, do you have a cough? Are you short of breath? And do you have a fever? And these should be warning symptoms that we should consider getting tested. If I have any of these symptoms, I'm actually not allowed to go to work and I will be asked to uh, self-quarantine and get tested. And I think that's a valid test for any of our listeners. The testing strategy is improving and there's increasing access to testing. Uh, So if anybody has these symptoms, the sooner one isolates themselves and gets tested, the faster you're able to protect not only yourself, but your loved ones and your surrounding community. For a deeper dive, uh, I would recommend probably what's the most unbiased and straightforward of sources, which is really the CDC. The CDC has a terrific website. It has all forms of statistics and deep dives and a lot of links uh, in of learning more as to what this disease is what to do and what hopefully the future steps are and so i would recommend that as uh, the simplest source of truth
4: well dr jerome thank you so much for spending this time with me this morning i really appreciate it
5: it's been an absolute pleasure uh, thank you and to uh, your listeners for having me
4: okay that was uh, Dr. Babak Jerome. He is uh, a dual-trained neurosurgeon at Northwestern Medicine with extensive experience in endovascular and cerebrovascular surgery. He holds fellowships from the Universities of Miami and Buffalo and a Ph.D. from the University of Chicago. His work has been widely published with over 200 papers, abstracts, and book chapters to date. We'll have more of the Tom Sumner program straight ahead.
1: It's peace united.